Hey folks, we're back. Squiggly Film Club, round duh. I'm Ben Mitchell, joined by Laura Beth Cowley and Steve Henderson. Hello, folks. Hello. How are we doing? Have a good break? That one week we had off, yeah, it yep. was great. It that was actually one week was enough time for me to completely forget this was a thing. Because you brought this up yesterday, like, oh, we'll talk on Thursday. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a creature of habit, and if you break it slightly, I forget everything. We were all speaking socially the other day, mm. and it's sort of rare to, to do a Skype call which isn't being recorded. <laughs> I guess today we're going to be looking back at Ardman's Chicken Run, one out against Fantastic Mr. Fox, the battle of the stop-motion puppets-on-the-run type films. I've not seen this film for ages, so uh, it's the first time I've watched it in, in literal years. It must have been well over 10 years, so I'm really excited to watch it again. Okay, it's not quite that long for me. It's one of those films I watch in bed to fall asleep to quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fall asleep while we're watching this. We've got a podcast to record. <laughs> but it's so right. Pavlovian response. But it's, get so to the comforting. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cozy and comforting, like a pie. So I think it's on... We're watching it on... Amazon, I think it's also on iPlayer, did you say? Yeah, it's on BBC iPlayer at the moment, I think because everything from Ardman is, but also uh, because of the anniversary. It's also on Annecy, isn't it? Uh, Annecy also uh, screening it as part of their packages this year. And I believe there's going to be a... We um... planned that. That was totally partly (laughs) due to us, I'm sure. Yeah, I guess a perfect opportunity to, uh, to look back and reflect on an animation classic. This, I think, was a pretty important film. Let's start it before we start. start waffling. <laughs> Let's start killing two birds with one stone. Okay, and a three, and a two, and a one, and a play. play. DreamWorks. <laughs> so did this mark the beginning of Ardman and DreamWorks' partnership? I'd imagine so, because wasn't this their first feature? It was, yeah, it was the, the first one. Apparently also the first, oh, it's billed as... The first uh, British stop motion feature uh, ever. Is that true? I'm. Tr- I've been racking my brains trying to think of another stop motion feature. Obviously, there. I mean, f- it must be really. Yeah, there are, like feature film. Well, there are features that employ kind of stop motion. You know, you think of uh, yeah certain films, but maybe they mean puppets. Yeah. Like feature puppet film. Yeah, well, was Wind in the Willows the Cosgrove Hall one? Was that a, a cut of the TV series, or was that an actual feature? So there's a, there's a, yeah, yeah. Technically, maybe not, but as far as the Americans are concerned, definitely, definitely, it's also the only one we've ever made. Well. <laughs> as far as America is concerned, I think. They <laughs> like Wallace and Gromit. Yes. Okay. So this and Curse of the Wire Rabbit, only ones in existence. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being really excited when this came out. It, even though I was that kind of, I was the age where uh, you often describe, Ben, when you kind of go away from animation, when you reach a kind of, you know, 14 through to 18, you kind of like, you know, get interested in girls and other things, but uh, no, no, I wasn't interested. I was still interested in animation. I was interested in plasticine chickens. I was, uh, I think, sixteen years old, and I was, I was well up for this, because um, I was a massive Wallace and Gromit fan. I think Ardman are 
uh, for me, you know, they're one of the, the main reasons I'm into animation. Mm. Yeah, I, um, I think you can combine the two lifestyles. I think I went to see this on a date. Oh, really? Yeah. Now you're rubbing it in now. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not sure it prompted any boot knocking, but uh, <laughs> it was a fun film. Sure. <laughs> you know, I th- I, everyone kind of like, I don't think there's really any age where you're too cynical for Ardman. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, yeah. I never felt like anyone sort of went through a like, fuck Wallace and Gromit phase in their life. <laughs> like, we all kind of it, appreciate quaint it. dog and man. <laughs> The innocuous adventure. There's no swearing. This is nothing like Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are people out there that are exactly that way. I'm sure. Well, I'm sure they they may be on the outside. I'm sure. I probably probably don't really feel that way. They're brutally honest. I, I think it's hard to to really um, turn your heart to stone when it comes to these films. Yeah, those people need to be actually, you know. Rounded up and assessed, I would say. <laughs> we can't have those people in, in good society. We Society will crumble if those people are left to roam the streets. Introduction of a great screen villain. <laughs> Mrs. Is Tweedy. that not a popular opinion? No, I, I completely agree. <laughs> I always thought she was great. She's absolutely yeah. amazing, but she works so well with Mr. Tweedy. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's obviously it's Queenie from Blackadder, isn't it? It's Miranda Richardson uh, playing uh, Mrs. Tweeder, Mrs. Tweedy, not Mrs. Tweeder. Mrs. Tweeder lives in the village down. She's not in the film. I think that may have been a motivator actually for me to see it as well because I was going through a bit of a Miranda Richardson crush phase, right? Which wasn't really based on Blackadder, if I'm honest. Like she's not like <laughs> that character doesn't really um, do it for you, but. Uh, she was kind of um, intriguing in the crying game. I quite liked that film. Intriguing, wow, so flattering. <laughs> well, she played, well, she played a, a sort of um, a honey trap IRA uh, spy, wolf in sheep's clothing character, and uh, she played that rather sexually. And young fifteen-year-old Ben, I think. Um, I mean, it's a terrible film in terms of the accuracy of how the IRA operated. But um, I don't think that's what it's remembered for overall. I think I'd have been like peak audience for this because I'd have been 10 when this came out and I was living on a farm and I had chickens. So it was basically everything. Yeah. Wrapped up in one uh, Arbany bow. <laughs> it's perfection. Chef's kiss. <laughs> so yeah, going... going back to this kind of love for Ardman, we've we've had uh, I, I put out the tweet saying because we're back on Twitter now uh, we, we're out of Twitter prison we're, we've been released <laughs> hands up who sound, noticed it makes it sound like you did something so bad <laughs> like oh someone accidentally posted something they shouldn't have <laughs> yeah well I was saying after all that we still don't have a fucking blue tick yeah that's the only that reason we did it started it all was <laughs> a certain someone with very noble intentions wanted to get us a blue tick and ended up putting us in fucking twitter jail because <laughs> you're five yeah because apparently when we signed up we were we were all underage which i'm not entirely sure if that's right but no anyway, after after a mere nearly a month <laughs> they, they corrected their mistake and we're back folks uh, blue tick not in tow yeah, I think it'll be a while before we try for that again. <laughs> <laughs> Wait until we're grown-ups. 
But uh, yeah, we got a, a tweet from uh, Hayden. Hey, hey, Hayden on Twitter. Uh, what do you think hey, of hey, Chicken hey. Run? He says, it's brilliant. One of my all-time favorites. It has the best use of a kazoo in a cinematic soundtrack ever. I'm not going to argue with that. That's uh, There's some good kazooing going on here. I'd say second best, but hey. What's the first? <laughs> what, does the crying game have it in or something? <laughs> this is the whole, yeah, that's the main theme. Kazoo-oriented. It's actually a kazoo cover of the song The Crying Game. Right. Is the main thing. People forget. <laughs> the kazoo industry is a very uh, misremembered and misrepresented one. So, uh, when I uh, when I started doing my research for, for this film, because... You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a proper researcher. I've got a PhD and everything. Uh, I'm <laughs> researching to watch a film, nerd. Uh, but uh, I, I went through and got my copy of the one of the first Art of books I bought, which is the Chicken Run Hatch in the movie. Have you guys got this one? <laughs> Laura literally just left the room and came back oh, with it in her hand. I, I wouldn't doubt you it. You two are, are so in sync. <laughs> what happened? He was just talking about owning this book that he just came in with. So... Uh, this this book was one of the first art of books that I, I bought. I bought it from the National Media Museum in Bradford. Um, but I've, I opened it up and out fell a, a free magazine that I got when I went to see this at the cinemas. So I used to go to uh, a cinemas in uh, in Barnsley when I was a kid, and uh, I got a, a copy of Into Film, and it's not Into Film like you'd think. It's Into the Number Two Film. What uh, I know, I know. What a, what what sort of reckless wordplay is this? What even is reality? I know. It's just <laughs> letters, numbers. Doesn't care to the uh, editors of Into Film magazine, uh, giving away free in Barnsley Odeon. <laughs> but- Mind you, the way we fucking spell squiggly, we're not ones to talk. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say <laughs> we inherited that monstrosity. We. <laughs> <laughs> We need to cha- swap the I and Squiggly with a one and maybe find somewhere to put an umlaut. And let's put a backwards Z in there somewhere. Um, but yeah, I've got this magazine and it was it was given away free and it's full of, you know, interesting little interviews and top 10 films and all that sort of stuff. But it's the most 19, sorry, 1999, 2000 magazine ever. The adverts are absolutely amazing. Um if you want to go to Woolworths and buy yourself a copy of Bad Boys for two ninety nine, it's uh, it really now that is a deal. It is a deal on on VHS. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's quite a wonderful thing, and you can all look. Sometimes f- I'll buy a record from eBay, and there'll be like an R price sticker on it. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, <laughs> Andy's records. <Them> <laughs> yeah, we can all look forward to uh, the Matthew Perry, Neve Campbell, and Dylan McDermott film. Three to Tango, uh, which is coming to cinemas in on June thirtieth. So that's celebrating its twentieth. Maybe we can do that for the next one. Yeah, giant Tweety. So yeah, um, scale puppet. Mm. I met Neve Campbell once. She was, she was doing a play in London. She was quite nice. She was actually quite a good theatre actor. I wouldn't have thought. Little factoid, people. Fantastic. I find it very hard to suspend my disbelief when I go to the theatre, but she did a very good job. There you go. <laughs> I don't know if she did as good a job in the Matthew Perry film, but uh, now that we know that it's out there and it's such a great price, we'll, uh, let's go down to Woolworths and buy ourselves a copy. I think we, 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 we kind of... I've got one eye on the film and uh, uh, and one eye on this uh, brochure, which, which is hurting my eyes. But... Uh, I mean, 
Chicken Run has got a powerful beginning, hasn't it, as a film? In terms of establishing the the themes, establishing the characters, establishing the 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 bones of the story, it's such a good beginning. Yeah. Well, it sort of it, it establishes, it brings together, I think, a lot of very important sort of components of it, which is a the very established Ardman style, which you know it's, it's what Ardman always kind of comes back to, and I think everyone knows what I mean when I, I say that. Like mm. it's it's different in some respects to other Ardman projects, but there is a certain quality of it. Um, but also, of course, the sort of pastiche element, and to do that well, you need to have a very strong sense of cinematography and a lot of love for the films that you're kind of referencing. Um, and that seems to sort of shine through with this. Absolutely. Did you watch many uh, Prisoner of War films growing up? Did you have a, a favourite? Did you did you guys watch any, like The Great Escape or anything? Have you seen The Great Escape, Laura? I think I might have done... But my mum and my grandfather are really were really into war films, mm. so I, I ended up watching a lot of war films. But they all just kind of merge into one, because like you you defeated one Nazi, you kind of defeated them all. Well, I mean, history or, or, or modern modern day history wouldn't agree with that. <laughs> He's got, just ten minutes on Twitter wouldn't agree with that. But yeah, I, I see I see your point. <laughs> I think as a young kid, that genre was probably my least favorite. Yeah. It still is. <laughs> but I, there are a couple of films that I sort of later on came to sort of briefly enjoy, and then I kind of lost interest quite quickly after. I quite liked The Dam Busters, because of the special effects were so, like, when you see this, the actual sort of water explosion effects at the end, and how they're done, it's so ridiculous but you kind of watch them and like oh fair play mm. for them it's like having a crack at like creating that um that image um and uh, i mean there are some things about certain films that um don't hold up super well uh, i was informed by uh, an elder uh, older relative that the dog wasn't always called blackie right yes yeah yeah I don't think we run into any issues like that here. No, no, thankfully, thankfully not. Um, yeah, I, I had a, a, a big soft spot for The Great Escape. I always found that a really easy to watch film. And I suppose that sounds like I'm damning it with faint praise, but I like the way that it established the characters and you got to know them all through the kind of introductions. And this is something that Chicken Run does so well. It captures that spirit of this kind of, that type of film. Um, you know, The Great Escape is one of those films that's um, a classic, you know, an absolute classic. And you don't have to be a kind of flag-waving sort of person to, to, to really appreciate it in terms of establishing characters and, uh, you know, creating plot and drama and intrigue and everything. It's, it is a, it's a masterclass and... Yeah, the the guys at Arben have really translated that and films like, you know, Stalag 17 and Escape to Victory and all that lot. Although Escape to Victory is used a lot more in Early Man, isn't it? You'd have to... I'd have to take your word for it. Fine, good. Let's just take my word for it. <laughs> um, yeah. This beautiful dynamic... I think that the sort of film pastiche element of Early Man overall seemed to work better than the actual sort of capturing of the spirit of football um as a story device 
Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. I'm not a massive football fan, but I think that the, I think perhaps the kind of over overreaching, overarching um, elements of football were captured for early man. There's some good gags in it. I mean, I'm, I'm I do like uh, I do like uh, early man as well. It's not my top Hardman film. That's a, a close run between the others. <laughs> um, but yeah, they they are very close. There's no. Uh, you know, there's no clear bronze, is there? They're all like, they're all, oh, they're all gold. They're all gold. Um, and then early man. Well, yeah, okay, fine. I mean, I wouldn't have put it like that, but no, 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 of course. You're gonna draw that kind of a hard line. <laughs> Fair play. Whoa, 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 Steve. I know. I mean, I'm, I'm think I'm, about the anime. I'm a safe distance away from Bristol. I'm not like you guys. I can't just go around saying stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can't piss off the Ardman, um army. No. No. Which, uh, just speaking of the Ardman Army, part of our now regular segment of the, the podcast is where I get in touch with the director of the film and bother them. Uh, and I've got a, a message from Peter Lord, the co-director of Chicken Run. Uh, have we reached a significant lull for me to read out this 20-minute message? Yes. Good. Okay. <laughs> just as the plot's been described on screen and uh, everything. Uh, so, yeah, I got in touch with Peter Lord, uh, congratulated on the film winning with 67% of the vote. Uh, and uh, I asked him if he wanted to share <laughs> some... I mean, this is the thing. He was absolutely <laughs> delighted. So simpering. He said, Steve, thanks. I've finished dancing for joy now. And uh, no, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, uh, I, I told him that the film had won. You know, it's still got fans 20 years later. Come on, this is a big deal. Um <laughs> But yeah, uh, he sent us a lovely message for the, uh, for the for the listeners. He says, Chicken Room was such a huge deal for me and Nick personally and for the studio as a whole. I'm inclined to say uh, we didn't know what we were doing, you know, being all self-deprecating and English and that, but that's more than ho- halfway uh, to the truth. With a close shave, we knew we would, uh, we would make a good-looking stop-motion movie that would hold up on the big screen. What we didn't uh, know about, though, was the incredible scale of the feature film, the technical challenges, the organisation of the studio challenges, above all, the challenges of making a film for Hollywood, for the mainstream movie business. Think of it. We're English, very English, I would say, in our style, our sense of humour, our instincts, our ironic take on story, our love of the absurd. All this and more was very English. And let's be honest, British films don't often cut it in the mainstream. Yes, of course, a few do, but not many. So our challenge was to make the film that we wanted to, that seemed natural and true to us, but which could also appeal all over the world, especially in America. I'll always remember a test screening in somewhere odd like Long Beach, California. The first time we went to a multiplex to watch the unfinished film with a real audience. We waited outside in the lovely Californian sunshine and all these families came in all looking like the people you see in Hollywood music uh, movies. Uh, I, I just mean they were so American. And Nick and I stood there and we thought, what on earth will these people make of a film with a bunch of British chickens set in a poultry farm in Yorkshire? What will they get from it? Luckily, happily, it played very well. Anyway, have you fallen asleep, Laura? Are you, has, has it lulled you off yet? Sorry. Nope, not yet. Uh, you've just hanging in there. You, you've just gone to do your housework while I read out this message. <laughs> um, 
Anyway, the scale of the production took us all by surprise. We made a close shave in our old studio in Bristol with a crew of maybe 25 or 30 people. So we thought, well, a feature film is like two and a half times as big as a production as a close shave, so it can't be too hard. But it seemed that it was more like 20 times bigger. We didn't have enough of anybody. No model makers, motion control operators, animators, story artists. We had to double and triple in size very quickly, and it was a huge learning curve. But hey, we did it. We did it very well, and it was great. It was a privilege, and it's given me enormous pleasure ever since. So there you go. Co-director of Chicken Run, Peter Lord, bothered by me just for your audio pleasure as I jumble over my words. So there you go. Nice words there from Peter Lord about the film. Always nice to hear from Peter. Yeah, making his millionth appearance on the podcast. (laughs) Just as uh, Rocky... Uh, enters the story on screen. <laughs> and Peter Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he's he's based on Peter Lord? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So, um, the scuttlebutt on the second one, do we reckon Mel Gibson comes back? Ah, right, okay. I don't think that nobody really knows what the story is, do they, for the second one? Because at the end of, are we allowed to talk about what happens at the end of this film? Uh, they're on the the in the bird sanctuary. Yeah. So I've been trying to figure out what the what the second one could possibly be. Big fire at the bird sanctuary. <laughs> <laughs> Just a wipeout. Three of them survive, <laughs> and they have to rebuild. Ben, it's a it's a tale of emotional turmoil. I can just say so like so obviously the the famous story is like Nick Park and Peter Lord go to like a Hollywood restaurant and say it's the great escape with chickens. I could just imagine you sat there with your feet on the table at the same restaurant, the same Hollywood executives going big fire in the bird sanctuary. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have another bottle of champagne over here. <laughs> I am we should interested. all pitch what we think the film, the second film will be, and then when the second film comes out, we'll uh, owe each other five bucks. Yeah, it has to be American <laughs> currency. Yes, something really unuseful. I take Australian. <laughs> Only Australian dollars. So go on, what I your think pitch? that the next one will be about them needing to go further afield because they've overpopulated the little... <laughs> Bird Sanctuary Island. Oh, they've been um, having a bit too much chicken fun. Yeah, <clears throat> and 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 Ginger and Rocky will be long gone, and it will be about their uh, their children. Ah, uh, the next generation. Yeah, that's always a really a wanting to be on a farm, <laughs> <laughs> and so it's about them trying to break back in. <laughs> I think it would be called Chicken Run 2, Rocky's in Rehab. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) he'll be, oh, we've got to get on with an adventure while he's away. You know how people, like, take um, audio of actors who've been in cartoons and, like, redub it? Like, the actors sort of being themselves and they redub stuff, or from other movies, and they redub it to cartoons they were in. Mm. Uh, Like Eddie Murphy, um... Uh, for example, I wonder if anyone's ever taken some of Mel Gibson's answering machine audio <laughs> and put it to some of these scenes. That would definitely work very well. Yeah, you do. I do feel sorry for the 
for, for everyone at Aardman when, when all that was going on. They had this perfectly wonderful film uh, starring Mel Gibson, who was at this point was at like the absolute height of his powers. And then a few years later, um, he, he, he took a bit of a... His star fell a little, didn't it? Well, that happens, you know. It's it's the the business of show, as they call it. It, it comes with its ups and downs, and um, I think I, mean, I think the film is strong enough to separate itself from that. And the fact, you know, at the end of the day, he could have been any Larry American bloke. Yeah, it just happened to be Mel. Yeah, I don't really know how much to 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 what extent, if any, that people consider this. Fucking hell. That's Mel Gibson <laughs> driving past. <Yeah. laughs> the police are pulling him over. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, to what extent people consider this like a Mel Gibson film, I think that the Obman stamp drowns out mm. the kind of star factor. I think that often the names only drag in like people that have no interest in it anyway. Yeah, I think having some, well, a good example having someone like Hugh Grant in um, Pirates. I think he did a perfectly fine job. I thought he was good in, as a job. character, but I think as far as how good his name is as a drawer, it was a pretty redundant thing. I do wonder sometimes if the whole getting a celebrity name involved is more about Hollywood and some sort of like back handshake rubbing each other's back type thing rather than actually, I don't know if the general public gives a shit. No, like I, I've never gone to go see a film because, like, uh, especially an animated film, where I'm not even going to see the person. I've never gone seeing them because some actor is in it. I've never given a crap. I think in terms of Ardman, I think Ardman do it really well. I think they, because uh, you look at the rest of the cast. Obviously, you know Mel Gibson's there, and you know this film is produced by DreamWorks. You know you've got Jeffrey Katzenberg breathing down your neck. You need to make sure that it has a, a an ounce of Hollywood flair to it. Whereas, you know, the the uh, Nick Parks and the Peter Lords were probably saying, oh, let's get the people from Absolutely Fabulous. Let's get the people from all the comedies that we love. You know, the good voices. Uh, you look at, um, you know, even even up until, uh, you know, the, the more recent Wallace and Gromit stuff, they didn't, they didn't, they could have had anyone pay, playing any of the characters in, in after they won the first Oscar, but they went for like Anne Reid and, uh, you know, people like that. They didn't really think they needed to go for for for, for Hollywood. Mm. But yeah, I see this kind of the, the kind of Hollywood uh, effect on this. Um, uh, on I think, but on Chicken Run less than the others. I know that DreamWorks kind of got their claws in more and more and more as the films were being made until you get to something like Flushed Away, which is a great film. Don't get me wrong, but. Uh, the the fact that it's made in CG, the fact that they uh, added lots of you know the slugs and you know starring Hugh Jackman, all that sort of stuff. I think that's when uh, when DreamWorks got a little bit carried away with Aardman. Yeah, I mean it's it's still it's not regarded enormously, not nearly as fondly as a film like this is. Mm. That's that's absolutely the case and i think it around the time it was sort of coming out it felt like there was a bit less enthusiasm and i think that the everything of course you know when it comes to sort of press materials and coverage and stuff the way it's pitched is like oh look at what the studio were doing they're um 
you know, they're combining animation styles in a way that's quite, at the time, probably quite progressive. Like, it's it's the stop-motion aesthetic, the, the, you know, the handmade quality, but it's being married with the efficiency and technical advancement of CG animation. Isn't that a good idea? Hmm. And mm, I think there's a reason why that hasn't really... That didn't really sort of stick as far as... So when they did other CG productions like Arthur Christmas for example like that works because it has its own identity absolutely I feel a little bit similar to that whole idea of like trying to mimic stop motion and CG as I do to things like um uh, to be honest a bit like Spider-Verse with trying to put 2D into CG and sort of create that kind of mixed aesthetic like I think it's great and I think it's really interesting but I I'm kind of done with it already like, I feel yeah. like I'm seeing a lot of stuff like that still. That I'm yeah, a we're like, riding a huge wave of that. Yeah, which I just don't really care for. Because for me, it doesn't do anything. Like, I'm like, oh, you've put a filter over a CG. I know it's more complex than that, but that's what it feels like. Hmm. And they say the scene that we just kind of um, passed with the chicken sort of like the chickens in bed looking up at the ceiling as the camera pulls back. The expression on, um, what's the guy chicken's name? Which, Rocky. The one who was just talking. Fowler? Fowler. Uh, the, Rocky. That, ex- that sort of fixed expression on his face was a great sort of kind of unintentional foreshadow of probably my favorite moment in Shaun the Sheep when they're in um, the pound <laughs> and they look over and there's just the dog with this fixed expression on his face of like malice. It was a very similar kind of frozen, hostile grimace. Uh, arguably the best part of that animated film and it's not animated. But not yeah, just the the solid uh, the static shot. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> so you know that you, you've you've heard the stories, obviously, about the uh, the way that this film was pitched, and uh, you'll have heard them being taken away on a private jet to a, a chicken restaurant to to pitch the idea. Um, have you got the the Ardman autobiography, the epic journey? Yeah, somewhere. Somewhere. Somewhere on the pile of books. Yes. Yeah. I like this bit here when when they're all training, but this sec- these couple of seconds here, it's the only time that the chickens actually act like chickens in the entire film. And it looks so wrong. Yeah, it looks <laughs> so wrong. Because <laughs> because of the way they're bending their arms like humans would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's, it's kind but, of inspired by that far side uh, gag, isn't it? You know the yeah. the the cows that. Are, uh, are just sat there and then they see a car sorry they're all stood around leaning on the fence chatting and then they see they, somebody shouts car and they all, they all start acting like cows God, that would have been a great pairing in another universe Gary Larson and Ardman mm. joining forces the Ard side indeed So, uh, do you guys know what a wazak is? Yes, <laughs> I guess, sort of. Yeah. Then do you know... Like a stupid do you know, person? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for not saying yes, we're talking to one. <laughs> um, my, my lip is bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kid because I love... I've always loved the underbutt of all the chickens, the weird, like, feathery... 
like chicken bums. Yeah. Because I just it just makes me go a bit nuts at thinking how they did that. Yeah, all the dry brush and stuff must be crazy. Well, no, it's because they're all individually like placked in because they they actually have some like depth to them. Hmm. So, just nightmare. Well, that, would that not have been sculpted in, or? Yeah, it would, but just like, do you want to put a thousand feathers onto a chicken's butt? I don't see you trying. It's not his job, no. though, Laura. Give him a break. I know, but it's still like insane. <laughs> yeah, if it was my job, I'd do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd go blind. Oh, I do lots of stuff. Imagine that would if you were just the, the butt, chi- the butt feather chicken <clears throat> girl. <clears throat> That was your that was your entire job for the entire film, just attaching ten ten feathers to a million chicken butts. <laughs> now I was uh, I was asking about uh, Wazak because there was this this big divide between Katzenberg and uh, and Ardman, where they were they were arguing over the use of the word Wazak and whether or not Americans would understand what a Wazak is. And I think uh, is it in the film? I think it is. I I, I heard I hear it is. Um, but I can't place. Because I feel where like that's is. a bit too rude. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, is it a northern term? Yeah, yeah. It's very northern. It sounds more like it would come from like Australia or something. Yeah, it's the Z, isn't it? Yeah, you Isaac. Yeah, it could be an animal in Australia. I mean, really, they could have got away with saying like wanker, because in America that's not a real thing. They don't really understand it. But over here, that would be like whoa, too much. Yeah. It's always good fun listening, watching like an episode of The Simpsons when they say wanker and it's like six o'clock and you're having your tea and it's like, oh my God, there's a wanker on telly, you know, when, when I was a kid. Uh, yeah, because if you haven't, like, if you don't know, it just probably sounds like they're saying something perfectly innocent. Oh, it's a silly nonsense English word. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or they, they explain and say oh, it's the same as saying jerk, which means nothing. But now we've said well, both it, wanker and jerk, we're going to have to put the explicit on sign on this on Apple. Oh, man. <sighs> the admin. Going to be taken off social media again. <laughs> we've only <laughs> just come the back. Bad boys of podcasting with our <laughs> plumbing the depths of. Yeah, we're just a. That'll be we're just the a only time they've wazics. ever seen a chicken run podcast with, the, with a mature label. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck happened? This film angers up the blood, let's be honest. <laughs> It's such a great concept. The uh, just, just the pacing of the whole thing, and just this such an evil character, <laughs> Mrs. Tweedy, decides we're just going to murder all these chickens. Something else quite interesting to consider, bearing in mind that they're bringing back a, bringing it back and doing a second one, is the fact that obviously this film lied in that period of time when all of the puppets and stuff from the old film were melted in the fire. Mm, yes. So they don't actually have any of, or they have very few of the original casts and mold and, and puppets to work from, which is quite a weird thing to think about when you're basically recreating the same film. Yeah, mm. yeah. But I, I suppose they would start from scratch anyway. There'd be like design changes, and there'd be new, you know, new advancements in armatures, perhaps, or three D printing, and using different things to. So I suppose the the core of the chickens where it was molded before could now be molded in fiberglass. Could be three D printed. Is that right? I'm sorry, I said three D print, Laura, and, and all of a sudden you're back to work. But <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. 
Um, well, I mean, anything can be three D printed. But yeah, like it, I suppose it could be if that's the way they feel is the efficient way to do it. Hmm. Possibly. I know, but you know, I think that as long as they have this film as a reference. It's um, a lot of reverse engineering, so it's looking at like the art of book and all the yeah. extras and looking at the puppets and and fortunately quite a lot of people that worked on Chicken Run still work there. Mm. Yeah. Or at least are contactable. Um most of which most of the people that are still there got their first start on this film as well. Yeah. But it's still, you know, it's still twenty years ago to expect people to know the you know, if these characters are coming back in the second one People are going to watch this film right next to the other one, so you do yeah. have to get it pretty bang on. People I'm, will make slight allowances for the fact that obviously the the lighting more than anything and the camera and the film quality will be a bit a lot different. But people will know, having watched this for twenty plus years, if there are any differences between the characters. People, and especially children, will expect the characters to look like they've just walked from one film into the next. Yeah, I'm sure that there are people who would get a pretty good job done oh, yeah, even just on site. Mm. But there are some people sculpting, people in the sort of world of sculpting that just have that in them. Well, that's literally people's job, <laughs> is to be able to mimic things exactly. Yeah. Especially in animation, because normally they have to make, you know, five or six of the same puppet. I'm just saying it's an unusual thing to happen. Sure. To have to make a sequel to a film 20 years later and also not have anything from that film. Or have very little from that film still existing. Well, they remodel everything in CG films, don't they? They, you know, they, don't, they don't just open up the old file like you know, Toy Story uh, 2 and Toy Story 3 and Toy Story 4. They're not using the original models from Toy Story 1. Obviously, there's advancements in, in, in the kind of the, the software that they're using. But... Um, There'll be completely different rig considerations. Yeah. And that's probably the same with the stop motion. Like, 20 years of advancement in that area, they would probably need to think very differently about the construction side of things. Um, yeah, how many of the solvents used in this are probably illegal now? <laughs> <laughs> we were at McKinnon and Saunders uh, a couple of years back, and they were showing us some stuff, and I, I think it was stuff that we weren't meant to talk about so i'll keep it vagueish but one thing was a puppet that was a very instantly identifiable character from a favorite film of both of ours and um there was a moment where we're like is that the the puppet from the film because it was absolutely identical and as it turned out that puppet had decomposed or been damaged mm. uh but they had essentially been i think tasked with replicating it for I think an exhibition or something, uh, and they had not to not in a duplicitous way. Like I think it was, you know, going to be displayed as a replica, but it was really, really, like there was no, there wasn't a, a, a seam out of place, kind of thing. Hmm. Um, and that's McKinnon and Saunders coming to arrest Ben for breaking the NDA. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a good drubbing. I hope that. What they do with the second film is they do keep the. I mean, I'm looking at the lighting of this film and remember it, it's so. It's almost sepia, it's so warm, the colours are so warm, but it also feels like kind of earthy and. Uh, yeah, I, I hope they don't do what. Because I think of, I think of uh, Sean the Sheep and I think of green. 
you know the the, the very you know bright sunny day skies and and and, and green and things like that whereas this a lot of grass yeah yeah absolutely but this is this is very muddy and brown and stuff so sometimes see- Sean is very hyper contrasted though because it's also aimed at a slightly younger audience I think mm, yeah I and Chicken Run has this more this slightly more filmic quality because it is trying to sort of draw links to previous you know to war films and also that era and that kind of generation of people but also i think some of it will be down to using film stock because with film stock you do just get a richer sense of color where with digital film uh digital films you tend to get brighter and sharper imagery but there is just a difference i hope it's not lost i hope it's not lost in the sequel they'll probably be able to do it in post yeah (laughs) but there will always be i think personally a slight discrepancy one of those great Ardman gags there she's on the uh, the contraption to go flying in advert for Stevenson's rocket As, uh, there's, a, there's a few odd little gags here which which you catch and, and, and I absolutely love I think they're really funny um, but then a film like The Pirates comes along and you can barely pay attention to the story. I mean, you can, and you can enjoy it, but you can watch the film two ways. You can watch a film to see every single little gag uh, and detail and just uh, little Easter eggs throughout the film, or you can watch the story. You can't, you can't watch the pirates both ways. I like that they knitted her some goggles, but it doesn't have lenses. <laughs> <laughs> She's such a hipster. Mm-hmm. Babs is the best character. <laughs> she's your favourite. Yeah, she's everyone's favourite. That was such a reoccurring like uh, quote in our house when I was uh, on my undergrad. Just the whole "I don't like gravy" thing, just <laughs> all the time. I don't know why. As promised, Jane Horrocks impersonation. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. From the last episode. <laughs> we deliver. Do you remember when I made the chicken run chicken pie, which had r- right around the edge? Um, I don't like, I don't want to be a pie. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I like pun baking. <laughs> did we get, did chicken run earn itself a wedding table or no? Mm, maybe no explain no. explain that to, there was to the a listeners fantastic mr fox wedding table yeah i don't think it won was... that one <laughs> <laughs> i don't think there was a chick I, I explain I that to the was. listeners what do you mean oh we had animation uh based table uh so names so. for our wedding oh nerds so <laughs> Here come the nerds. Is the only way we nerds, could inject animation into the day? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no! They had to be animation films that we could uh, quote that yeah. would have a sort of love-themed quote at some point, in or the a film. friendship, or a yeah, union. One. Whereas I don't like gravy. Isn't really a romantic <laughs> quote, is it? <laughs> Especially with a Yorkshire family like Laura Beth's. I think. <laughs> I know. I was going to say that would end in divorce. <laughs> That's a sticking point. <laughs> a a graveless marriage. 
It's a doomed marriage. It's a terrible marriage. Well, I think marriages in the north have been saved on a good gravy. <laughs> Holds entire blood. There's nothing together. worse than someone that can't make a good gravy. It's like a like shit pissy, watery gravy. You're just like, oh, you're a terrible person. You could be lovely, but you're actual... You're Satan. Do you mean like when somebody says, oh, I'm going to have gravy and chips, and the the gravy's so watery, and yeah. with the odd lump in. And it has no flavour, and you're like, what was... You've just put brown water on your food. I know. Crimes. Real crimes. And also people that like really weak, milky tea. Like, fucking grow up. My brother's the worst. A member of my extended family was a watery gravy oh. man, which is frankly no man at all. That's <laughs> disgusting. I, I have no problem telling people to know about that kind of thing. Like, no, no. A Sunday roast, if he prepared it, it would be water gravy and new potatoes. Ugh. But not cooked right You can't right have both. Through. I hate the idea of gravy on new potatoes anyway. There's something about that. It makes my tongue kind of itch. Mm-hmm. But especially if it's terrible. With its squeaky, boiled skin still on Like, it. everything is depressing here. And then for dessert, just the skin of rice pudding. <laughs> string beans. Ugh. Extra stringy. Yeah, just the strings of string beans. Whereas the types of, uh, if we do a, a roast dinner now, it is absolute heaven on earth. Yeah. It's proper gravy, proper roasties glistening. Glistening with goodness. I'm pretty sure I ma- like caught you into marriage just on my roast potatoes alone. That's how you land a man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone back about 20 decades <laughs> watching this film. Like, what do you want, women? <laughs> if you want to land yourself a man, gravy that will stick to make you to gravy. <laughs> gravy that will stick him to you and potatoes so good he won't be able to walk. <laughs> <laughs> That's proper romance. <laughs> What's vegetarian gravy like? What, are you asking me? Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> How do you thicken it? How do you what? How do you thicken it? Well, Bisto's vegetarian. Yeah, but Bisto's also... It's also Bisto. Yeah, it's not... I mean, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. You mean like when you stick a glass of red wine in and, you know, really go for it and... Use no, the, no I, I mean when you put like an entire leg of a cow in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Squeeze an animal limb into it. Like somehow there's marrow in it. That that's what I mean. Well, I've, I've, <laughs> I've not um, I've not been vegetarian that long, so it's so you've not come across gravy. Yeah, yet. still. I mean, I've still got remnants of the the thick tar-like gravy that I had for Christmas between my teeth. It's you know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could. Oh wait, can you substitute marmite? Is Marmite yeah, Marmite's, Marmite's vegetarian, Marmite's isn't vegan. it? Yeah, yeah. It always feels like it can't be because it's so salty and beefy, but it it is. No, it's just yeast. Co-worker of mine is on a vegan cheese-making kick oh, at the moment, no, and uh, like very sad. often likes to showcase her very her various mock camemberts of differing shades of grey. <laughs> I like that we're discussing this in a f- whilst watching a film that is kind of advertising vegetarianism. Well, yeah, my, like, my, look how my cool friend it is Kim became a vegetarian for a week after watching this film. <laughs> it's one of them commitments that you make when you're 16. What uh, what what converted her back? 
Uh, probably gravy. You know, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of... I'm terrible, though, because this is the kind of... I was like, oh, look at all these poor animals. I'm like, I've never wanted chicken more in my life. <laughs> I love these two. I love that scene. Nick and Fetcher. I feel like that character nowadays would be um, the voice of... Um, oh, what's his name? Mackenzie Crook. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I feel like he's a very good... He'd be a good... Skinny rap man. He's got that West Country. Yeah. Drawl to his voice, don't he? Well, actually, uh, I he think the... he's from Essex. Actually, I think. Oh, is he? Is he not I from think Bristol? So. I'm going to Google it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Did you see him in the new Wurzel Gummage? Oh, I love that. No, but I saw the makeup. I'm on a real Mackenzie Crook. The the, the burn victim Wurzel Gummage. <laughs> <laughs> he's no, he's not. He's meant to be a turnip. That's well, I he's... know he's not actually meant to be a burn victim. He, he just like. has a very Freddy Krueger esque like. Wrinkled look to his face. to be a turnip. He's from Maidenstone. Maidstone. Uh, Maidstone. Kent. Where is Maidstone? Kent. Ah. It's a nice little dance number in this film, isn't it? They've just had the. Uh, and I think there was some reluctance to. Obviously, some, some pressure from DreamWorks to make the film uh, a musical. You know, to add, oh add songs God. in and things like that, which is a very American kind of demand, isn't it? That to... would have been so bad. I'm so disappointed <laughs> that we missed out on a Mel Gibson rap <laughs> over the closing credits. <laughs> yeah, That is something that's kind of died out, I feel, in cinema, is the rap over the closing <laughs> credits that summarizes oh, the plot I'm of the movie. I'm trying to think what the Chicken Run rap would be. Something Naming about characters by name and basically just... Oh, there would definitely be, like, what's it called when they... Um, there'd be a sample of Babs. Yeah, I don't want to be a... I don't, don't want to be a Babs! A turntabled sampling <laughs> yeah. of dialogue. Uh, God, that was high art. Mrs. Tweedy! <laughs> we have moved on from it and we have left a, a very important chapter of our culture in the dust and it needs to be brought back. Bear that in mind, Chicken Run 2 people. I insist, Ben, that you do this at the end of every podcast. You make us an episode-specific rap. A squiggly rap. To end it out on. (laughs) But it has to be about the film we've talked about. (laughs) Or, yes, just a general squiggly rap would be very appreciated. What would be better? Would it be a, a, a new, like, lyrics... The rapid yes, same pattern would it, every time, but with new lyrics. Or would actual samples from the podcast we've just heard, but funkily spliced together, and, and as you demonstrated just now so deftly, a bit of the era, era action yes. uh, thrown in. Yes. I think I just feel like that will really raise, rope in the kids. It will ra- <laughs> raise the podcast to a new level. I think you know if those kids if those kids are pushing fifty then yeah (laughs) we just we just I'm sorry we just missed the best line in 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 the film if not this film maybe every Aardman film when he's uh, when he's when 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 she's surveying the machine and she says you know chickens chickens go in pies come out what kind of pies it's just. My favourite. I love it. I just <laughs> it is the best. Yeah. Here's a really good photo on page 178 to 179 of the art book of uh, Nick Park explaining how to do the panic motion. <laughs> what, what was those page chicken? numbers? 
178 and 179, it's Nick Parker instructing an animator on how to animate the chickens freaking out. <laughs> wow, that's some real... That's, yeah. That's a great photo, isn't it? <laughs> He's throwing himself into his art. There's some lovely artwork in this book. Yeah. As well, if you, if you turn the page, there's that, there's that picture of Mrs. Tweedy, which is Miss Chicken Pie Yeah, the really long one, as if she's like in a noonie mag. Yeah. But <laughs> it's really weird. It make, it's like, With oh, baby. Crop. But one of those it's fantastic... Bu- it's from below as well. Aren't we lucky? <laughs> Uh, yeah, wow. Look at well, their gloves. And maybe this is where the crush on Miranda Richardson came from. <laughs> <laughs> that, that patrician stern facade. She's a bit trash-bully, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... is there Has there ever been an animated version of Matilda? Or is there any on the horizon? I don't think so. That's a shame. I'd like to see an animated version of the Twits. I think... Um, oh, that was yeah. on the cards at one point. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I was just saying for this, um, the, the, the gorgeous centerfold, there's some nice detail of the actual, the dress, it's uh, claws on, on the, uh, one of those Arban details. But obviously you're busy salivating over it. You're not bothered about the details, are you? God. This is such a great sequence as well in the, uh, the pie machine. Mm. And... Uh, the the fact that the chickens were hung upside down was it came from Nick Park working in a slaughterhouse. So that's where you get those wonderful animation details. Steve, do you know if this was made at Gas Ferry or Aztec? Aztec. It was the first one that was made at Aztec because it um, they didn't have enough space, so they had to right. take over Aztec. I think Mattel was there beforehand, uh, and they just managed to. Scoop it up and, yeah, use the space. Mm. <laughs> Just, yeah. Evil grazy no- gravy nozzle. <laughs> gravy. I think this is quite good um, service to the, the Wallace and Gromit fans as well. Yeah. The kind yeah. of elaborate automata <laughs> factory machinery. They do look like bloody good pies, don't they? Yeah, it's making me hungry and I've just had my tea. I really want a pie. I have to say, I, I've looking at this art of book sort of up close and the level of sort of love and care that's gone into it and the ratio of like production imagery to... There's a lot of text in that as well. Yes. This it's not just really annotated good images. This is a really book. It's one of the few really very, very good ones, especially quite early on, because quite early on... Art of books were fucking awful. Yeah, they didn't kick into gear until a little later, I would have thought, than I when this film came out. I think it took a while to realise that it wasn't for children, because I have a very early um, Toy Story 1 art of book, and it's the worst art of book ever in existence. It's really stupidly formatted. It's a free size. Mm. It's got a hologram on the front. <laughs> There is quite some nice information and artwork in it, but it's just the worst format. Like, poorly formatted art of books are, like, my least favourite thing in the world, especially when a studio brings out a lot and then they just randomly change one book for no reason and so it doesn't line up properly. Yeah. That really pisses me off. I've got, I think I've got that one, but uh, there was a... There was a uh, I think there was a moment where they were really good, though. I think the... Uh, Chronicle books were fantastic. And then they got to a point where they just started to become like 
quite lazy museum catalogs. I think you get to a point yeah. where some of the, the, the Pixar films, so the earlier ones, so the Monsters, Inc. one and the, uh, uh, you know, the Incredibles one, you know, absolutely mm, gorgeous, wonderful beautiful. pieces of work and actually written as well. Whereas you pick mm-hmm. up something like the Inside Out book, which I think I put a review on um, uh, on Squiggly of, it, and I think I was a bit honest with it because I thought it was so, so disappointing because it was just pages full of, of artwork with no kind of detail into the the making of. And when you have a film, I mean, we're watching Chicken Run, there's so much detail in it, and it's rewarded, that detail, in the... Uh, who, who did this? Was it Abrams? A, a Box Tree or uh, Chronicle Books or something? Um, but, Box Tree. So. Yeah. Box Tree. But just, just to, to be able to delve deeper into... The art of filmmaking, it's a real treat. <laughs> it was forwarded by Mel Gibson, sorry. <laughs> I've just noticed that that's weird. <laughs> and it's yeah, it's Brian Sibley as well who co I always the, find the uh, forwards quite interesting, like who they pick to have the forwards of the art books. And sometimes I'm like, Oh, that's interesting, and sometimes I'm like, Why? Yeah, I've got like, I've got a lot of books like, that John Lasseter's forwarded and he's <laughs> he's not doing that anymore. It's not like, I just never understand the point of having, unless the actor sort of was in some way influential on the narrative of the film, mm. it all was part of the process of the film in some other way. Like, uh, what's the guy? Oh, what's his name? Who played Puss in Boots, and then he started an animation company. Antonio Banderas. Yeah, like him being the forward for something. I understand because he also founded an animation um, studio. But the idea of having the actor be the forward on a on an animated film, I'd be like, I can't imagine caring less about your opinion on this film, frankly. Yeah, but you read like, Mel Gibson's That one forward. day I was in the studio was really cool. Yeah. You read Mel Gibson's forward in this and, it, and he could have texted it to him. It's not... You know, <laughs> what Peter Lord gave us to read out then is, is like twice as much as what Mel exactly. Gibson's actually, you know. Especially as like the director isn't the person that writes the book. So like... It, it feels like it, by standard, it should always just be the director or the producer. Hmm. But interesting. I think probably the most disappointing art of book I've encountered, and I might still have it somewhere, was um, the Yellow Submarine. Oh really? The art of the yellow submarine, and that just sort of popped up on eBay randomly, and it was—it seemed like a kind of no-brainer. But I didn't think it through, um, so I just kind of picked it up, and um, it's a, it's it's sort of baffling because it would have come out around the time the film did, so different time, obviously, and it's all just photographs of like a day that the actual Beatles went to this one of the studios, and they're just it's just a series of photographs of them next to cardboard cutouts. <laughs> Of their cartoon versions of themselves, I guess at the time, and that's the art of book. <laughs> I guess at the time they would have thought that would be the most marketable aspect of it because people weren't thinking about animators or people who were interested in the art of animation. They were thinking of like beetle maniacs. And <laughs> <laughs> I told you about the, uh, the, the, the art of. Uh, well, it's not an art of book. It's like a little uh, catalogue that I picked up in the. I think it was the Cartoon Museum in London. And it was a yellow submarine one. And I thought, oh, this is, I've never seen one of these before. I'm a big Beatles fan, big animation fan. Uh, I, I picked it up and it wasn't the book you're talking about, Ben. It was this book that this bloke wrote who worked on the film. And 
it's it looks like it's self-published. It looks like it's just that this this guy did, and all he does is just complain right the way through it, and just bitch and bitch and bitch about about what was wrong with the film and what a mess it was in and all that sort of stuff. Amazing. Yeah, it's great. I'll have to uh, I'll have to wave it in your face or or, or send you some excerpts. Yeah. The weirdest one I think I have is. I tracked it down because I was very excited about finding it. And it's not great, but it, there are some bits in it that are quite nice for a film that... It was for um, James and the Giant Peach. Mm. And James and the Giant Peach is one of those films that has, like... it Because of the time it came out and what was happening in the industry at the time. And just the world, I guess. Uh, and it was at a point where art of books were not necessarily that great as well. It it really has very little written about it or documentation about the process, um, at, because it just didn't for some reason. Because mm. that was before really the second wave of Nightmare for Christmas excitement as well. Like it hadn't quite found its like big pull like it did does now. Mm. So there was something about that film that just it's a tremendous film and it's one of my favorite films of all time. But it really just fits in this weird little bubble where people forget about it all the time. And the art of book is really strange because it's only about 100 pages long, if that, maybe. And it's about a quarter of the size, like, in terms of dimensions of the Chicken Run art of book. It's really small and it's really strange, but there are some, like, photos of of the puppets and stuff and there are very few of those around Mm. outside of archives and stuff. Um, and most of those puppets don't really exist anymore because it, they were also made at a point in time and because they used like uh, like silicon and latex and stuff they and uh, foam latex, they don't exist anymore because they just melted. Yeah, there's a few of the replacement faces. I think the, um, mm. uh, Paul Berry's family still has uh, a lot of them and they're occasionally displayed, you know, some of the puppets from, uh, I think the spider in uh, James and the Giant Peach. Um, and there's an archive yeah. somewhere, either in Leica or somewhere else in America, that has a has a lot of the weird little bits and bobs from both Nightmare for Christmas and um, James and the Giant Peach. Mm. That someone I follow on Instagram for some reason has access to, and so every so every now and again I get to see like a weird misshapen armature, and she's like, "Guess who this is?" And I'm like, "I have no fucking clue." Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, that's a weird film. Films that are like... And then, like we were saying with this film and how a lot of the stuff that was in this film doesn't exist anymore. Unless it was already in a collection somewhere, like at, the, um, like at a museum or something. Yeah. Or in their own personal homes. It's interesting. Because this would have been okay because most of it was still... Or parts of it were plasticine and I think things were at this point a bit more stable material. It was just the, the heads and the wings weren't that were plasticine. The rest of it was uh But they're so yeah. big I feel like a lot of them would have still been okay. Yeah. Because it wasn't foam latex, it was definitely some sort of silicon or latex. Yeah. Yeah. Because they have a really lovely finish to them that sort of because you can kind of see the difference between the two materials because like like now in the shot we're looking at now you can see that there's a slight sheen on the bodies that you don't get on either the heads or the wings so that's how you can sort of tell that that's a different material you can see when you're looking for it i think yeah yeah no oh yeah no it doesn't show up at all if you're not looking yeah but there's just a slight lighting differentiation but the i mean to be able to color match plasticine 
and silicon in general is very very hard but to be able to do it then more so i mm. guess i also really loved the like from a design point of view i always liked the fact that all of the characters have like necklaces or scarves and stuff to help with that <laughs> yeah. join <laughs> yeah but i really love things like that when there's like very clever design choices made to make things easier yeah like I've always hated this idea that like when when you saw things and you hear like oh it took us twenty four days to realize or like twenty four weeks to figure out how we were going to do this in this system and you're like or oh, you could have just put like a bandage around it and then not had to worry about it <laughs> like sometimes you know sometimes you're pushing innovation and sometimes you're just thinking stupidly yeah well the early all the early sketches in the art of book they don't have necklaces on and stuff and you can tell that it was mm. probably a big they knew it was coming. <laughs> you know, you it was probably... someone practical just went, do you think we should maybe give them collars? Yeah, yeah. Rather than expect, because otherwise you'd have had a bit like they have in uh, Missing Link where he has that big cowl around his neck, which is a real problem. Because mm. if you have replacements and then a body, there's something that has to happen in between because you're, you're mixing so many different materials together and sort of making that not look gross or wrong on screen is quite difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just love when things are uh, practically changed to make it easier. Yeah, it's great. Or just better, because it doesn't, you know, it, it gives them all a bit of personality as well, otherwise all of these chickens would kind of just blur into one, even though they do all look slightly different and are a bit more individual and obviously coloured different. It's, re- it's a really clever scarves. way they've done that though, isn't it? Because they had the... Mm. Um, they had four types of background chicken. Obviously, you've got your your main chickens, uh, you know, Bunty and, and Babs and Fowler and uh, Mac and all these sort of characters. But then you have your background chickens, and I think they had them different sizes. And then you have different beaks that differentiate. And then you can have beads around the neck. You can have a scarf around the neck. You can have a necklace. Um, and it just creates such variety and, and you know, it makes the place so populated. It's clever. It's just very clever, you know, engineering and design. Yeah, yeah. Because it's already an insanely long process. So any kind of shortcut you can take or creative thing you can dis- you can figure out to make it a bit slightly easier without affecting the visual or the story. Mm. You should take. I'm always amazed at how incredibly detailed and just good this film is. Yeah. Um, I mean... It- like, when you think what they had before it, even though, obviously, um, close shave and everything is brilliant as well, but just to keep that going at this, you know, at this length is amazing. Yeah. There was another one of my favourite gags that just popped up there <laughs> when he when he's, uh, when he he's pulls the string on his trousers and all the nuts and bowls come out and you see his <laughs> eyes watering. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's Another like- weird thing about this film from, like, my childhood was I have, I had a video game of this. Really? To- oh, yeah, yeah, for the PlayStation. And it was really fucking hard. Like, for some reason, I could never get past the chicken machine, like the chicken pie machine. Mm. And it was just the weirdest mechanics, and it was like proper old-style PlayStation glitchy games that were associated with films. What, sorry, watch the shot. Get, like- what, sorry, watch the shot and keep your eye on it. There's a shot in this which is uh, one of the longest stop-motion shots ever. It's coming up. Sorry to cut you off, Laura. That's all right. Um, 
It's but it's mesmerising to see the size of the set and all that sort of stuff, and to think that it was such a. So when she turns around from the window now, it's just coming up. So kicked up the bum. She's saying that was close, and then this shot now. Right. Like the saws going backwards and forwards. You've got the, the characters building things in the background, stuff being raised, lip sync, the whole thing. And they're all, you know, it's all perfectly choreographed and... Mm. I think that's the longest shot in the film. Yeah. But yeah. Sorry, sorry, you were talking about the video game. No, no, that was... I didn't know that. It was impressive. I bet, hopefully, they did actually manage to get that done on the first go. Because <laughs> that would be life-sapping if you made it, like, 10 seconds in out of 11 seconds and then someone fucking nudged a, a chicken out of the way. Oh, the lip sync's off. <laughs> <laughs> did I tell you the story of... Um, uh, something that happened on a certain stop motion film that involved the wrong head. No. So one of the last shots, um, very nice chap who was driving me in to work was doing, he was one of the main character animators and, um, it was, I think one of his last shots and he was really done. He had made himself, I think a bit ill physically, um, because he had put himself, you know, through a bit of a ringer, um, and he was so ready to be done, and his last shot, which he turned in, which was about 10 seconds long, and um, it was perfect, nailed it, and then he gets taken to one side, like, okay, I've got some bad news, um, we gave you the wrong head to use, he's not meant to have blood on his face, oh. that doesn't come until later. <laughs> so, we so had to they do fix the that? whole thing again. Oh, they had to do the whole thing again, they couldn't fix it in, in like... After Effects or any sort of more expensive software. Well, we could have maybe painted it out, yeah, actually. Yeah. But I think that maybe because of the complexity of it, um, or maybe also the hair was different because the hair, lots of things were very meticulously um, planned. Anyway, what are the little perils of um, working in puppet animation? Mm. Keeping track of just how many specks of blood... I needed. I don't imagine there's a lot of blood in this film, so it probably didn't come up too much. Maybe mud spatters, or gravy. But, but no, that was a. That's a. You know, especially when it's an older film, like it. It is super impressive when they're able to kind of get a nice tracking shot done like that. Hmm. I always found it a, a a real nice surprise in the cinemas. This bit in the film where where Mister Tweedy uncovers that they're chickens because. What, I remember watching it for the first time, thinking he'll never find out that they that that they can talk to one another. And so when that relationship was broken, and the chickens just started taking over, I just I thought it was absolutely it became another movie. It was incredible. Maybe that's what the second film will be. It won't be about the chickens at all. It will be about him in an asylum, telling <laughs> everyone that chickens talk, and it will be like. Um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but with chickens. <laughs> one flew over the chicken's nest. <laughs> so like one nest. flew over the chicken's nest. <laughs> That—that's the tagline. <laughs> I like—I like that idea. I would—I would watch that film. So it's about them like feeling bad about getting him institutionalized. One, one flew over the cuckoo's nest would be a good film to Pistachio. do a pastiche of because all the characters you could make little chicken equivalents <gasps> of. That'd be great. <laughs> 
Oh my They're god! They're all ripe for admonizing. That would be so good. I like how we've just decided though it would have to be chickens. <laughs> like, <laughs> no other animals will do. I do remember the thing of like whenever a video game was like based on a film, they would try less. It seemed like it was just like it, I think it was just the era it came out in, but like you'd get stuck behind like uh, the coal shed and not be able to leave because there was quite a lot of the beginning of the game which is you know that like really quick like sequence at the beginning where they're showing all the different ways they've tried to escape in the past Mm. the first half of the game was just doing all of those (laughs) so at one point you had to be in a chicken dressed as the the stick version of Miss Tweedy and try and run away from the dogs. And the music was so fucking terrifying. <laughs> and I just remember it being really, really stressful when I was like 11. And being like, Jesus Christ, what is this game? Why is it so scary? It's meant to be entertainment. It's so- made about... It's chicken run, for God's sake. Why do I feel like I'm in like... Um, Oh, what's it called? You feel like, like you're really there, horrible. you're in the action, you're one of the chickens, <laughs> <Yeah>. you are terrified. <laughs> it's got nothing <laughs> on the like... Cave of Wonders in Aladdin for the for the SNES. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'll, hold, I'll hold anyone to that. I think that should be a new strand of squiggly content, is us just looking at shitty video game <gasps> tie-ins to animated that movies. That would be great! That'd be a good series. That should be a YouTube channel where we do, like... Um, screen recordings of you trying to play it and then like the video of you playing it and just freaking out <laughs> which would be what would happen you know within moments oh, trucks. <laughs> I do I mean another another one of this 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 movie's full of amazing lines and the bit there where before um, Fowler takes to the to the kind of uh, controls of the the airplane when when he goes. What about your days flying in the RAF? And he goes, "Good, no, I'm a chicken." And everyone turns yeah. around shocked. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being so mad at him. I was like, "Like for fuck's sake, you liar! <laughs> you promised so much." Them all. <laughs> you stupid blowhard. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is a this is a damn near perfect animated film. Yeah, mm. it really is. <laughs> Woo! Now there's real like tension. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the you get that quite often with Ardman films, though, where people like I've watched some really good um, interviews and documentaries and stuff about not about Ardman, but just with with directors and like um i think it's tarantino and del toro who both say this might not be factual so we'll fact check that later but who have said that the uh like the chase sequence in the wrong trousers when they're on the train is like the best chase sequence ever made in cinema yeah absolutely it it, it is i'm I'm with them there like this is a wonderful sequence i think that that creating that suspense um there's something about it. There's a sort of alchemy to it, mm. and they get it right so often, Arben, that like it, it just sort of it it stands up perhaps more when they don't. And I can only really think of one example. If you look at the Wallace and Gromit half-hour films, I think the first three all have very successful sequences where you're really kind of the sort of edge of your seat kind of thing. And 
so you know the train sequence i think the kind of big climax sequence of a close shave with the uh plane and stuff mm-hmm. that's all done very well um in a grand day out it's not so much the bit at the end but when they're actually taking off and um he needs to get the crackers is it yes yeah, 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 yeah. that bit is brilliant yeah i remember like, that fuck to get your crackers <laughs> <laughs> there'll be no the whole trip will be completely pointless but with that one as well the um the bit where the whatever the the weird robot that is on the moon when he's left yeah oh my god the sorrow as a child experiencing like this behind. this character who is so like insanely complex for a, what is essentially a film direct you know aimed at children's and family like that he's this like weird efficient like overly efficient thing that sort of is quite ominous and scary because he has no face and then the unwe you feel for him when he's stuck there yeah. <laughs> like it's the that that film is such a weird really good and to think There's that a kind that of was isolation a, thing of and to think that was a graduate film as well essentially i know it obviously got a lot of work afterwards yeah. but to think that that was his yeah. first real film yeah kind of three minutes of it are a graduate film <laughs> Yeah, huh? <laughs> a good three minutes of it are a graduate film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, I, mean, I imagine the story probably was still his wasn't changed too much. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just physically the, the, make it. Yeah, yeah. At that point, but then if you cut to a matter of loaf and death, which I actually still I do enjoy. Yes. Um, but when I think Very of the different. final sequence of like you know them facing off against the villain. I don't think it's that I had gotten older that the the tension wasn't quite there or the same. Or there was something I think about having less at their disposal that really kind of helps contribute to like that real tension and coming up with you know a, a something. Whereas when you have like a big windmill thing and you can throw explosions and bombs and stuff into the mix, I think with that film, what sort of maybe didn't feel as tense or as uh, satisfying is that the villain in that is ex- exactly who you think it's going to be that she in no, no at, yeah at no point yeah. do you think it's going like if it had turned out to be snuffles yeah, that would yeah. Actually be, because it's the only film they've ever done where the actual like monster villain character is actually the human right okay yeah, and so it's it's completely believable in the real world that she would have been the serial killer, and that she is a serial killer. I found was a little bit, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The bringing, actually, bringing serial murder into the actually, world. That's true. Because in all the other ones, they don't really. I mean, I think uh, the robot dog in a close shave is sort of hinted off that he might have killed some sheep. He killed the sheep, yeah. But like, yeah, there's not normally, and in the other one, it's they've killed some bunnies. Yeah. But it, it was never like, no, this person's actually seriously dangerous. And it's weird how the fact that she's an actual serial killer is somehow not as threatening as the penguin that doesn't have eyelids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's just a burglar, but he seems so much more terrifying than she ever does. Yeah, no, it's, it's just that kind of I think it's the fallibleness element. of her, the fact that she's clearly just someone who is really spoiled and thinks life should go one way and it doesn't where all the other ones have a kind of ominous threat to them like you don't know very much about them yeah because really the robot dog is just robot dog is just doing what he was programmed to do just a bit too much 
and yeah. and the penguin isn't really hurting anyone he's just a criminal and the uh, the robot on the moon is just doing his job once again just a bit too efficiently so they have this complexity to them where she doesn't really she at no point do you really feel sorry for her she's like I used to be thin and then I ate all the cakes and now I'm a fatty. And that's that's kind of... That's her arc. That's her arc. And you're and like... She well, gained weight and went crazy. Yeah. It's like, well, <laughs> just, you know, go to Weight Watchers, love. Chill out. Maybe don't kill a bunch of bakers. Look at the little yellow chicks. She might have benefited from some counselling. Maybe. But, but she was very unlikable. Yeah. Well, Whereas Feathers McGraw are... is very sinister, but immensely likable. Yeah, and even like in he's, this, he's the great. Tweedies are quite likable. Yeah, yeah, but you've got because you've got they're, an hour they're, and a half with the they're... Tweedies. Whereas with Matter of Loaf and Death, you have to really quickly turn around. You know, there's no kind of space when she starts. You know, going on about her backstory and all that sort of stuff. You've you've kind of ruined it, haven't you? You, you know, because you've yeah. only got twenty minutes to do that, or half an hour, however long it is. But I don't know why, it just doesn't quite as satisfy. Chicken. But, but yeah, so so I I mean that was sort of built on a compliment <laughs> as far as how well it works in this film. Hmm. And you had this great you know sequence of, of events in the sort of penultimate um act there, or the last act I guess. Um The end. The end. My goodness, that sped by. Um that you know, it was a good. I, my point being, it was a good example of it being done well, um, and that when Arben, you know, get it right, they do a, a pretty incredible job. Yeah, and with such wonderful production design, like that, you know, that whole structure is is brilliant. Yeah. Um, I mean, such a another strong example of one where the, the, the tension doesn't work because it was on TV the other day was um, it's completely different team but finding dory mm. which tries so hard like every moment is like tension Overload. contrivance mm. and it's and it's a it's an exhausting film because every sort of like beat in the film is like i ah, we got here but we just missed such and such and there's everyone just crisscrossing paths and missing each other it's like the most stressful day at a theme park ever <laughs> it's stressful <laughs> but it's not satisfying yeah like the most the whole stressful thing day at the, a theme like, park the- is <laughs> When they've hijacked the truck and then they're having to drive, and but now they got to go back, and then you know, and then the resolution to that just kind of crossfades to it all worked out fine. Um, that I felt was like a sort of example of a completely other way of like, okay, when you try way too hard, then it, it becomes a whole different beast. There's a kind of fine balance, I think, of really getting the audience to be like, oh, sh- oh, is they going to make it, sort of thing. Mm. What were you going to say, Steve? I can't remember. It's, it oh. wasn't important, though, clearly. <laughs> if I don't remember it. So do we have ideas for next week's films? Did we say we were going to do the Ernest versus Ernest? Or have you got other ideas, Ben? I think you were going to say something there. Uh, we could do Ernest versus Ernest. I also have Isle of Dogs versus Plague Dogs, Watership Down versus Animal Farm. And a bug's life versus ants. Ooh, you've, you've, ooh, that's that's there's there's uh, yeah, that's 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 a good selection. I I would be up for the um, either uh, watership down, 
versus Animal Farms or Plague Dog versus Isle of Dogs? I've never seen Plague Dog. Um, so Neither have I, I think- actually. We saw one clip of a really early um, squiggly podcast, I think. We started the podcast in March, and I think around October we did like a Halloween episode with scary. We got people to write in with like the scariest stuff, and one of them was a scene mm. from Plague Dogs. Yeah, it, it often comes up in like things that traumatized thing. you as a I child. Think they played it at the watershed So, which one are we going to go for? Should we go for dogs versus dogs? Um, yeah, I'm up for that. Unless um... Steve. No, 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 that's good. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, <laughs> let's do. I mean, it's better than my earlier idea, which was Isle of Dogs versus All Dogs Go to Heaven. <laughs> Maybe if Plague Dog versus All Dogs Go to Heaven, it would be like quite a nice, like, dip. <laughs> like, where are you on the level of dogs dying? <laughs> I actually like the sound of that. I actually think, I think putting. Maybe we could save uh, could Isle of Dogs as, like, and Frankenweenie. As... <laughs> Can we do a freeway? <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> choice after the podcast, Laura. Yeah, uh, thanks. Like choice, can we have Isle Dog versus Play Dogs versus All Dogs Go to Heaven? Hmm. We could have Isle of Dogs versus Oliver and Company. <laughs> um, I think maybe uh, Isle of Dogs polls? versus Frank and Weenie, and then we could do All Dogs Go to Heaven versus Plague Dogs. Okay, yeah, I like that. Do you like that, Ben? Why not? Why not? So all Isle of Dogs versus Frank and Weenie. Okay. Right. Yeah? You say it, Laura. What right. are we doing? Isle of Dogs versus Frank and Weenie next week. Fantastic. Fantastic. So you got to vote on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, yeah. And uh, we're on Twitter at Squiggly. Uh, yeah. W- what else do we have to say at the end of this thing? Um... I think we've kind of done as well. We could read out the rest of the credits, I suppose. <laughs> Keep people entertained. Don't forget to vote um, as much as you the can. The website is, of course, squiggly.com. Um, uh, Facebook at Squiggly Magazine. Yeah. There you go. Thank you very much for Thanks, listening. Thanks, folks. Thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoyed us talking about sometimes Chicken Run <laughs> while we were watching Chicken Run. <laughs> we, did, we tried our best. We didn't do the rap. We've got 10 seconds left to do the rap. <laughs> We've got Quickly, 13 seconds. Okay. Quick, Ben. Okay, three, two, one. <laughs> My name is... Oh, we're out of time. Oh.